0: We'll begin reading in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 from verse 17. Let us hear the Word of God. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and have given to us the ministry of reconciliation. To wit that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto Himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and have committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. For He hath made Him to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. Amen. Praise the Lord for His Word. Trust He will bless it to all of our hearts. Let us pray briefly and ask for His help. Our Heavenly Father, we come one final time committing ourselves to You, Lord. We come acknowledging that we need the infilling of the Spirit of God. And so we pray now, Lord, that You will fill me with Thy Holy Spirit. Grant me unction from on high that I may preach Christ, that the unsearchable riches of Christ Jesus may be proclaimed in power and in demonstration of the movings of Thy Spirit. Lord, be with each one of us now as we seek to hear Thy Word as we seek to be hearers and doers. Lord, meet with us, we pray. Bless thy word to us now. In Jesus' name, amen. How should man be just or accepted with God? That is the question that is really at the heart of every religion. Because every man and woman knows inherently that we are all born as sinners and are not just with God, They ask this question. This question is on their conscience because they know, inherently they know that they are not accepted with God, that they are defiled by sin and guilty before our Creator. So I want to ask you this morning, do you or have you ever struggled with assurance that you are accepted with God? Surely you have, as I have, And as every other Christian has at some point or another, surely you have wondered whether your sins are really forgiven and whether you have really been made right with God. There are probably sins that you've committed that you cannot seem to forget no matter how hard you try. And no doubt you've wondered, how could God ever forgive me for what I've done? Perhaps those sins haunt you. And perhaps you feel as though you could never truly be forgiven for them. Well, you are not alone in that struggle. This is common among God's people to question these things. But thanks be to God. Thanks be to God that the Bible is full of inspired and infallible truth that you and I can stand firmly fixed upon in full assurance, in full confidence that every believer is and every lost sinner can be made right with God. God has given His people an abundance of immovable and unchangeable pillars of truth in Scripture that you and I can build our confidence on. One of the greatest of those pillars is before you in 2 Corinthians 5.21. That is the text that I want to draw your attention to this morning. For He hath made Him to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. Or as one man wonderfully paraphrased it, God made Him... That is Jesus Christ. God made Him who knew no sin to be sin for us, who knew no righteousness, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. And that paraphrase wonderfully captures the meaning of this text of Scripture. You see, this text reveals how ungodly sinners are made right before a sin-intolerant God. A God who cannot justly tolerate sin in the slightest degree. This text reveals the heart of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And at the heart of this text is what is known as the doctrine of imputation. The doctrine of imputation. The word impute means simply to place or to credit, to charge something to a person's account. That is simply saying that whatever is credited or charged to your account, you become legally responsible for. Now, the Bible reveals two theological meanings for the term imputation. The first is the imputation or the charging of Adam's sin to his ordinary descendants. Meaning that all mankind descending from Adam by ordinary generation, or all of his natural descendants are responsible for his sin. And you can read this for yourself in Romans 5.12. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Now the reason I say ordinary generation, the reason we use that language, is because I want to make sure you understand that Jesus Christ is excluded from the sin of Adam. It's very important for the text that we're going to look at this morning, that Jesus Christ is excluded from the sin of Adam. Jesus Christ has an extraordinary generation from Adam. He was brought into this world by being miraculously conceived by the Holy Spirit in the womb of the Virgin Mary and was kept free from the sin of Adam. So that is the first imputation that the Bible teaches. Now the second meaning of imputation is twofold. It is the imputation or charging of Christ's righteousness to believers and the imputation or charging of the sin of believers to Jesus Christ. This meaning of imputation has been referred to by men in various ways. Some have called it the great exchange between the believer and Christ. Others have called it double imputation. But whatever you want to call it, This is the meaning that is in view in the text before you. And I bring you here because I want you to see this morning. I want you to see what Christ has done for the believer. If you are a believer that is struggling with assurance that your sins have been dealt with, that you are accepted before God, then this message is for you. I want us all to behold today for the good of our souls the beauty, the wonder of the gospel. So I want to speak to you today about imputation, the ground of your acceptance with God. Imputation, the ground of your acceptance with God. And the first thing I want you to see about this doctrine from this text is the parts of this imputation. The parts of this imputation. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And so there are really two parts to this meaning of imputation, and both are found in this text. The first part is the sin of believers imputed to Christ. The sin of believers imputed to Christ. And really what that's saying is the very worst about you was laid upon Him. The very worst about you was laid upon Him. So this is referring in this text to a legal charging of your sin to Christ's account. In other words, all of your disobedience to the law of God was laid upon him, charged upon him. So on the cross, Christ became legally responsible for the sin of every believer. It was not a legal fiction that took place. And this text is very clear. It says that Christ was made sin, not that he was made a sinner. We must always keep that distinction, that this is a legal charging, that... God did not view Christ as if He was guilty, but He rather viewed Him in all reality as legally guilty for your sin, not personally guilty for your sin. We have to be very clear about that. Christ was not personally a sinner, but was legally responsible for our sin. Not because He had sinned. For this text clearly tells you that He knew no sin, And that doesn't mean that Christ doesn't understand sin. Christ is God. His understanding of all things is infinite. But what it's referring to, what it means is that Christ as a man has no experiential knowledge of sin whatsoever. He never has and never will know sin in this way. But God viewed him as legally guilty for your sin on the cross because of this imputation of sin to his account. And there are a couple of scripture references that I want to bring before you this morning that help to illustrate this. The first is from Philemon verses 17 through 18. The Apostle Paul in writing to Philemon referring to Onesimus and this situation that was going on between Philemon and Onesimus. He says to Philemon in verse 17... If thou count me therefore a partner, receive him as myself. If he hath wronged thee or oweth thee aught, put that to mine account. And in that language, you have an illustration of what we're talking about here from 2 Corinthians 5.21. This is language of imputation. He says to Philemon, If you count me a partner... As you look upon me, I want you to receive Onesimus as you would receive me. That is what happens in imputation. That God, as He receives Christ, receives the believer. Paul says, If if you count me there for a partner, receive him as myself. If he's wronged you, if Onesimus has wronged you, if he owes you anything, then put that or impute that to mine account. He, becomes, he wants Philemon to consider him responsible for it. Another illustration of what we're talking about here is found in Leviticus 16. You'll turn there with me. Leviticus 16. What you have in this portion of Leviticus is an illustration. Here you have these two goats. You have a goat that will be a sin offering and a goat that will be a scapegoat. So the sin offering, that one goat, is to picture God's wrath being satisfied upon sin. And the other goat is to picture sin being removed. And so I want us to begin reading from verse 20 in chapter 16. Verse 20 of Leviticus 16, and when he hath made an end of reconciling the holy place, and the tabernacle of the congregation, and the altar, he shall bring the live goat. And Aaron shall lay both his hands upon the head of the live goat, and confess over him all the iniquities of the children of Israel, and all their transgressions, in all their sins, putting them upon the head of the goat and shall send him away by the hand of a fit man into the wilderness and the goat shall bear upon him all their iniquities unto a land not inhabited and he shall let the goat he shall let go the goat in the wilderness and so what you have here is this wonderful illustration of the reality of the believer's sin being imputed to Christ and the significance of that transaction you see here this sacrificial picture. This goat, Aaron, confesses over him all these iniquities and that word putting there. That's the idea of this imputing. And this picture is to show us the, the sins being put upon the goat and then this goat is going to be taken by the hand of a fit man into the wilderness, far away from the people of God, never to be seen again. That's the idea. This goat's going to be taken far away. And He's going to go to a land not inhabited so that these sins that are laid upon Him will never be seen again. That is what Christ has done for the believer. If you turn lastly to Isaiah 53 just to illustrate this point. Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53 brings us to the reality of the human substitute that did what no animal could ever do. Isaiah 53, we'll read from verse 4. Notice the language referring to Christ. Surely He hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem Him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted, But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. I would estimate that you could not find a clearer definition of imputation in the whole Bible than what you have here in Isaiah 53. You understand what the prophet is saying here. And and you notice the language of imputation there that Christ bore our sin. He carried our sorrows. That He was wounded for us. And upon Him was all our iniquities laid. As I said before, Christ here, the human sacrifice that did what the goat could never truly do, but only point to. If you'll turn back to 2 Corinthians five twenty-one, This is what Christ did for His people. And as we just keep going here, think of the love that Christ must have for you. Think of what He did here. Christ was made a curse for you on the cross. Galatians 3.13 Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. On the cross, all of your sin was charged to His account. And this is why he cried out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He was forsaken by God upon the cross so that you, no believer, ever will be. That is the first part of this imputation. The second part of this imputation is the righteousness of Christ imputed to believers. The righteousness of Christ imputed. Imputed to believers. We see that in verse 21 where it says, Who knew no sin. He hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin. And really what this is referring to is that the best about him, the best about him is laid upon you. The worst about you laid upon him, the best about him laid upon you. And so we have here this, again, this legal charging of Christ's perfect obedience to the law of God in His life and His complete satisfaction for sin in His death to your account. In other words, when a man or woman believes the Gospel, meaning they acknowledge Christ as their Lord and put their trust for salvation in His person and work, then the righteousness of Christ by the Holy Spirit is imputed to them. It is credited to their account. On the cross, the sins of every believer. And just believe it this morning, the sins of every believer, past, future, and present, were placed to His account. And at the moment of true conversion, through the means of faith, all the merit of Christ's perfect life, And satisfying death is placed to the account of the believer. And is that not what you read of in Romans 5.19? For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. In Romans 3:21 through22, "But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, unto all and upon all those that believe. And you just ask yourself, who are you or I to be given the righteousness of Jesus Christ? Who are you or I to be viewed by God as perfectly righteous? How humbling it should be to all of us to be righteous before God through absolutely no merit of our own. Every believer will go to heaven on no other basis than because of a sinless life and satisfying death Of Christ. Those are the parts of this imputation. The second thing I want you to see from this text is the purpose of this imputation. The purpose of this imputation. Why did he do it? Why did he undergo such a thing as this? There are really two main purposes for why this great exchange, as it has been called between Christ and believers, is necessary. Our text says that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. So the first purpose is the believer's forgiveness. The believer's forgiveness. You see, in order for you to be forgiven by God, your sins had to be imputed to Christ. They had to be imputed to Him in order for them to be atoned for. In order for Christ to take that burden of sin and satisfy the wrath of God upon it. In other words, Christ suffered the charging of your sins to His account so that He could then satisfy the wrath of God upon your sins on your behalf. Because God cannot simply turn a blind eye to sin. He is perfectly holy and just. Therefore, he must deal justly with sin. And it is vital, it is vital for every believer to grasp this. Because then you will see more clearly what God has done for sinners in Christ. He has justly made the forgiveness of sinners guaranteed in Christ. So that Paul could say in Romans 3.26 that God is just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. Everyone who embraces the gospel of Jesus Christ will forever be forgiven for their sins because Christ has satisfied God's wrath upon their sin. And realize the weight of what this text is saying. Don't miss in this text that Jesus Christ... Suffered an eternity's worth of wrath upon your sin so that you would never have to undergo such suffering. We all need to live in the reality of a text like this. You need to live in the reality of this forgiveness. That is the first purpose of this imputation. The second purpose of this imputation is the believer's acceptance. The believer's acceptance. Not only forgiveness, but acceptance. You see, just because you are forgiven does not mean you are accepted. In imputation, Christ not only takes your sin and satisfies the wrath of God upon your sin, but He gives to you His life of perfect obedience so that you are accepted by God as righteous in His sight. You see, the believer is not simply emptied of his sin, but he is filled with the righteousness of Christ. This, again, is crucial for every single believer to understand. This this is Christ's righteousness being imputed to you. It does not simply put you on the path to becoming righteous, which is what some would teach. But the immediate result of Christ's righteousness being imputed to you is that you are at that instant accepted by God as perfectly righteous. Never again to be charged with sin or made liable to any punishment. Eternal punishment. And this truth should bring every believer to their knees in gratitude to our God. Just pause and think of it. You, you can now stand before Almighty God with complete confidence that you will never, ever be cast out of His presence. If you are a believer, God sees you as He sees the risen Christ perfectly righteous this is one of those doctrines that we must constantly keep before us that we must constantly meditate upon and keep in our hearts it was once said to george whitfield after he'd preached an open air sermon about, upon the new birth a lady asked him mr whitfield why do you always tell us that we need to be born again And he said to her, as some of you may know, because, madam, you must be born again. And this is one of those doctrines that must constantly be our meditation because this is the foundation of our assurance before Almighty God. This is the heart of the Gospel. This is what is referred to by the psalmist in that great text of Psalm 103.12. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath He removed our transgressions from us. As far as the east is from the west, going the opposite direction, never to meet again. And so as we're grounded in this, as we must be grounded in this, because I would argue that there are few things that the devil loves more than to torment a believer about the forgiveness of their sins and their acceptance before God. Do you know what God says to the believer? In Revelation chapter 12. Revelation chapter 12 verse 11, the Lord says to us there, And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now is come salvation and strength in the kingdom of our God and the power of His Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb, and by the word of their testimony. And they loved not their lives unto death. The blood of the Lamb. That is how you will overcome. Through the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Paul tells us in Romans chapter 8, verse 33, Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is He that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. Verse 38, Paul continues, For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So the next time the devil tries to convince you that you are guilty and unacceptable to God, remember that God looks at you through the blood of Christ. He looks at you exactly as He looks at Christ. There is no charge that, or accusation that the devil or even you That even you can bring to convince God to cast you away. Christ has paid for it all. And there is no man or demon that can bring anything against you. And if there was ever a doctrinal motivation to serve God out of gratitude, then would it not be this? That He has made us accepted in Christ. And is that not what Paul concluded in 2 Corinthians 5.14? He says there, the love of Christ constraineth us. The love of Christ constraineth us. And so through all the toil and hardships that Paul and the other apostles faced, it was the fear of God and the love of Christ that constrained or motivated them to press on. I want to close with the words of Horatius Bonner. He says, I lay my sins on Jesus, the spotless Lamb of God. He bears them all and frees us from the accursed load. I bring my guilt to Jesus to wash my crimson stains. white in his blood most precious. Till not a spot remains. Hallelujah. Leave here today. Living in the reality of forgiveness and freedom. From the guilt of sin. Leave here today. In the reality that you are accepted before God leave here today to serve our God in the enjoyment of the gospel we'll pray before we sing another hymn our heavenly father we give thanks for the word of God we praise you oh bless the Lord oh my soul and all that is within me, bless His holy name. We marvel, Lord, that You would take such wicked and vile sinners and make us righteous in Your Son. We praise You and thank You for this glorious gift of salvation and ask, O God, that You would help us as we sing now to sing from renewed hearts And as a people that are before the throne of God, accepted in the Beloved. In Jesus' name, Amen.